This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Are we looking at a cabinet position? What's going on here? <laughs> Unofficially, um, in the conversations we've had, people are like, we'd love to have you on the team, we'd love to ooh, work with ooh, you, like, think, things like that. I love so, that. We would love what so, do you want to so be? There, what's, your dream, what's your dream position there? I want to try and speed us up on these technology issues. Mm, Secretary of Technology. Secretary of Technology and Innovation. Actually, the Washington yes. Post just just put that out there today. They said, here's the cabinet we recommend. And they said, Andrew Yang. I'm lobbying for that from now on. <laughs> I think it's bad for our confidence in our government that it sucks so bad at a lot of these things. <laughs> Where like, if you go to... Uh, your bank's website or whatever, you just expect it to work mm. generally at a certain level. Um, and then so you'd be like, well, why doesn't the government have something? So one thing I'd love to invest in would be essentially a citizen portal mm. where if there was something like we're trying to get you money or trying to get you information. Um, so I would love to try and help the government deliver at like a, on a technical level because I think it would be enormous for our confidence. Mm. Uh, so that would be something I would love to, especially if it was tied to universal basic income, because I think that there is a relationship where um, we need to actually know who you are, know how to get you money, mm -hmm. have to have some kind of secure relationship with you and interface with you if we're going to try and, you know, add value. Hey guys, welcome back to Yang Speaks. This is Zach Grauman. I was Andrew's campaign manager and now the co-host of this podcast with Andrew. Today, we've got a pretty cool episode. We've got a crossover episode with the H3 podcast. So if you were following Andrew on the campaign trail, we were on the H3 podcast a few times and now we get basically a recap of Andrew's experience on the trail and also a whole bunch of current events. So Ethan and Gila are fantastic and hilarious. So they talk about the four-day work week, universal basic income, Andrew joining CNN, and Joe Biden, why Andrew endorsed him, and why you should vote for him, and where we stand on a whole bunch of issues of the day. So tune in. It's hilarious. It's fun. And actually a really interesting perspective on what's going through Andrew's head right now, now that he's off the trail. Tune in, guys. Crossover episode between Yank Speaks and the H3 podcast. With us again is Andrew Yang, the, uh, could I call you a futurist? Do we accept this title? You know, I used to joke, Ethan, that people call me a futurist, but I'm actually a presentist. Because mm. it's all going on right now. <laughs> That's and, uh, and I was contrasting myself with other political figures who seem stuck in the past. It's like everyone's arguing for some version of the past. Mm. <laughs> so... So, uh, you know, but if people call me a futurist, I mean, it sounds cool. It makes me sound with it and forward thinking. So, I mean, I'll, I'll take it. That is a good point, though. I mean, the ideas that, that you were speaking about only, you know, a year or two ago before COVID is already here now. UBI was your was your kind of main main uh, platform. And 
<clears throat> once COVID hit, this whole UBI discussion came forefront. Like all of a sudden, this isn't such a bad idea. Yeah, a majority of Americans now support universal basic income. That just came out this week. And something like 76% of Americans <clears throat> favor cash relief during the pandemic, which is, as you can tell, a very close cousin to universal basic income. And we're getting a ton of economic data right now that's showing that the money we're putting into people's hands has been enormously positive for the economy, for those individuals and families, uh, for people's ability to continue to spend money uh, in their local communities. So it, it's been like a large scale kind of involuntary UBI trial, uh, but I'm happy to say that it seems like now it's mainstream wisdom and the majority of the American people support it. I just wish it didn't have to be under these circumstances, but thank you all, because you were ahead of the curve. Pre-pandemic, you were like, hey, right. this is actually a good idea. And then now we all look like geniuses because everyone's like, we should totally freaking do this. No, the, <laughs> the timing was crazy because once like, <clears throat> once the pandemic hit and everyone started talking about cash relief, like your name started trending on Twitter because mm -hmm. everyone was like, dude, Andrew <laughs> has been talking about this right before it happened. The timing was unbelievable. But what the government has done like you said, is cash relief. It's not really UBI. Whereas a lot of other countries have gone beyond and just said, you know, during during this crisis, we're going to give you cash every month. Our government has stopped short of that. They're, they gave one time $1,200. Is that enough, in your opinion, to, to really help people get by? Well, it's better than nothing, but it should have been recurring. They should have done, done that sort of thing every month for virtually everybody. I just want to say uh, how happy I was to see you and Gila with your uh, help economic mm -hmm. relief where you're just giving folks uh, $500, which is an enormous difference maker, I know, because we, you know, we've been doing something similar. Uh, but our government should have been doing that kind of thing from day one for virtually all of us. And the thing that made me... There's, there are a lot of things that made me very angry about our approach, uh, but we were using the IRS as a tool to get people these checks, and mm. that was the right move under the circumstances, but it still misses a ton of people. <clears throat> there are a lot of people that are not filing tax returns that don't make enough money in mm. many cases. And when we were trying to get money to people, we were just doing what ordinary people would do, which was like, Venmoing or cash apping or mm. PayPal. I mean, that's how you and I send money to each other. When we send each other money every night, which, you know, <laughs> that's not to say, you know what I mean? But like if, if individuals are trying to send money to each other, you know, like you, you can just do it. Um, so that's what my org has been doing. Our government, how can our government not use an app that like millions of us used? But do you <laughs> mind? So, it's like if they wanted to get money to us, like they could get money to I us. I wonder, do they, it, it almost seems like, too unofficial the government sending money to people through like venmo or something do they make their own proprietary thing like how do they do that really within it just seems odd for the government to send a trillion dollars over venmo it would have been awesome though i mean it would have been totally awesome have i agree is that is <laughs> that a feasible like, go here <laughs> is that a realistic .gov. actually i should, I should say cashapp.gov because i'm better friends with jack <laughs> <laughs> oh i didn't cashapp.gov <laughs> yeah uh, so uh it, it's i mean it, it's funny that joke about how unofficial it seems 
Um, but th- that is the kind of move that I wish we'd made. Mm. Uh, and at this point, the vast majority of Americans know we need to do a lot more for people. I'm friends with a guy who has essentially a dashboard to the financial pictures of over 2 million American uh, temp gig and contract workers. And so he's seeing their financial fortunes rise and fall in real mm. time. And he said that like their jobs started to evaporate in March, but a lot of them kept getting money from the unemployment benefits. And that was like the big lifeline for a lot of these folks. And then he saw those benefits end in July and then all of a sudden stuff just starts heading down. He also said that the temp and gig opportunities have gone down by 60% writ large. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those people don't have jobs to seek out. Um, And they had money and now they're not having money. And so he's seeing it all uh, evaporate in August. So we should be doing more of what we uh, did in April. We just sent people money. We should be doing it to virtually everyone every month. To your point too, Ethan, because they're doing a lot of those sorts of things in other parts of the world. Right. Yeah, I mean, we're in this situation. I don't know how people are going to continue to get by because, like you said, the the benefits basically just stopped, right? Where if you're unemployed, people are getting an extra $600 on top of their unemployment. And I know for a lot of people, they said, this is huge. Uh, this is helping me a lot. <clears throat> that's that's ran out now, right? And so I, I genuinely am soup. And then at the same time, you have a, in a lot of places the the eviction moratorium uh, expiring. And I feel like we're kind of on the verge of, of a cliff that we're about to fall off of. I mean, and, and, and in the meantime, the Congress isn't, isn't pushing any new relief bills or they're incapable of coming to some kind of compromise. I mean, it just seems like we're right on the blade's edge right now. No, the the fact that my friend with this company and he has his real time <clears throat> dashboard, yeah, like you can see people's way of life deteriorating, and disintegrating in front of you. Uh, something like thirty percent of Americans had trouble meeting housing payments last month, uh, and so if you have an eviction mm. moratorium and uh, and people's unemployment benefits start to dry up, um, you're going to see mass evictions <clears throat> and uh, folks. No, are going to be in unthinkable situations pretty quickly. It, it, it really does make me very angry uh, that our Congress isn't doing the obvious. It's just showing how dysfunctional the yeah. government is at this mm-hmm. point. I mean, uh, it's, why, it's why I ran for president. And, you know, now I'm shifting gears because, you know, you have to do whatever you can to solve the problem. So now I shifted gears to giving money to folks like, uh, like you've been doing. Thank you to everyone who's donated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and pushing for other solutions. Uh, you know, I'm trying to get Trump out because I think that, that not, none of these problems are going to get addressed meaningfully uh, unless we have a different set of leaders. Uh, but that nothing I just said should stop members of Congress right now from doing what the vast majority of Americans want to see in the form of cash relief. Again, you know, it's like if 76% of Americans are for something, why is it so hard for our members of Congress just to come together and say, well, let's just do what everyone right. wants. Yeah. And it's obvious and economists <clears throat> say it's the, the right thing to do. Well, you know, it, it, it was just baffling that like they just they went on vacation. Congress just bounced. They went on vacation without a deal. And I mean, it's like just losing faith in, in the entire system of our of our government. I, I was shocked that they just like 
<clears throat> I find it so ironic that they're sitting on a cushy salary. They've got health insurance. They've got pension. They've got all these things that, that normal Americans would like to see from their jobs. And for them, it's so easy to just walk away and take a vacation while the rest, while the country is burning. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy that that's even, that they can even do that. Well, they're in their districts right now, and hopefully they're hearing the same thing. They're hearing everyone say, yo, get back there and fucking pass uh, a census yeah. bill or recovery bill. Connection. Yeah, no, I, I bet they're hearing that every day, yeah, all the yeah. time. I hope they are. Certainly, yeah. like uh, I've been pushing in any way I can, uh, and hopefully reason will prevail. <coughs> uh, I just hope it doesn't require something uh, disastrous for reason to, to prevail over there. Well, they say about Americans, I think Churchill said this, you can count on America to always do the right thing once they've exhausted every other option. Yes. So right now they're going to exhaust the people somehow survive on nothing option. And yeah. they realize that doesn't, <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. that doesn't work. Uh, you know, that the tough part is, so let's say that I was a, an, an awesome uh, spirited person and I ran for Congress and then I won and then I show up. It's like you show up and there's like all this entire giant hierarchy that's been built mm -hmm. up. And then there are mm -hmm. like a couple of deal makers in your party and the, you're like, Hey, I would like to make a deal, but I don't have control over yeah. my caucus. And then we have a few lead negotiators and the other party has lead negotiators in this, in this case, it was, you know, Mitch McConnell trying to rally the Republican senators and see if they can <laughs> reconcile it with Nancy Pelosi's, uh, uh, House bill that was passed by the Democrats. And you go back to your district, and, you're, and everyone's yelling at you, and you're like, "Man, I, I like I can't get this thing done." I mean, part of the problem is that you have these two sides in Congress that uh, they can go home without a deal, mm. uh, and then blame the other side and say, "Well, it was right. their fault. That's, they didn't yeah. they didn't mm -hmm. close the gap." This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online... I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash yang to learn more. There's been a lot of talk I've seen 
of a four-day work week. That seems to be something that that uh, you've been focusing a lot on lately. I'll tell you from my experience when I was working a desk job in Israel, I worked a normal office job five days a week, the whole nine to five, nine to six, and I was that whole time I was like, dude, I could I could do this in four days easily. I mean, <laughs> when you're sitting at a desk, you waste so much time. And I always thought that that idea was brilliant because it's got to do wonders for morale, right? I mean, have you been reading studies and literature about that? Yeah, the data is tremendous around a four-day work week. Uh, and it's also common sense because work kind of expands to fit into whatever time you have. You know what I mean? Like, if I give you a bunch of stuff to do and be like, you've got five days, it's going to take you five days. Right. If I say you've got this much to do and you have four days, exactly. it's only going to take you four days. Well, so. especially yeah. with the promise of an extra, you know, week. It's week motivating. Now. Yeah. You know, in yeah. Israel, we only have one day weekend mm. so you know it's funny when i moved here i was like this is like a dream i love the the long weekend but um i started to feel like god i wish i had one more day one and more i started day. to feel guilty about that and like mm. i really can't get enough can i like wait wait tell me more so israel <laughs> like uh just it's as a just one day saturday. weekend which i'm guessing is saturday yeah, yeah. so brutal. um brutal. sunday is the first day of the week it's not monday so that is wild <laughs> how that like i consider myself a fairly worldly <laughs> cosmopolitan person and i did not know that yeah um school is sunday through friday and These you only kids, have saturday off they yeah. go to school six days <laughs> wow. a week can you imagine that hell yeah <laughs> all right i'm gonna say something please don't judge me um yeah i went to a prep school that had classes on saturday so i actually had oh like my the god you can't imagine that school though. week and so i can't imagine it and it was not pretty <laughs> that's, that's for that's sure horrible <laughs> yeah but so. i i just read about it only recently because you've been talking about it and i find the whole idea so interesting and i think i want to read more about it and learn what it really means because we actually have an a business and we have maybe 20 employees so we could decide to go that route for everyone but i would have to know like what exactly it would mean yeah you should uh, look into it for sure mm -hmm. uh, and then maybe even run like a trial mm -hmm. in your case you, you'd run a trial but the data is very positive where it says that productivity uh either stays the same or goes up in the sense like you get the same amount of work done. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there are reduced stress levels, increased morale, like the people yeah. use that extra day off mm -hmm. uh, in a way that they find restorative mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, productive in like a you know personal way. Uh, and so it's may, it's like upside on the personal side and the, on the business side, the productivity side, uh, there's really no loss, and in some mm -hmm. cases, there 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 are positives. Right. So, uh, and to me, society wide too, America in particular, and you guys have like a very distinct uh, job, if I do say so. But you know, but, but like America generally has this uh, this workaholism problem, or mm -hmm. some one person called it workism, which is probably mm -hmm. a, like maybe a better name, um, where. Keynes projected decades ago, he said, we'll be down to a 15-hour work week because we'll be so rich. Uh, and it turns out his estimates of the top line were right. Like, we are as rich as he said we were going to be. Um, but our work week are actually migrating longer, not shorter, mm -hmm. uh, because of the nature of 
corporate culture and the economy where it's like you have to be always on and um, available and the work yeah. kind of creeps. Uh, and that is r- what's happening right now. And it's driving health problems, stress problems, relationship problems, yeah. uh, you know, like that the, there are uh, a lot of signs already that uh, the American work culture is kind of morphed into something uh, not terribly healthy. And so I think a four day work week would be a massive improvement for many, many corporate cultures. And I got to say, like a lot of the times you're, you're there, like you're not doing shit. No, like, you know, probably like one day a week, you're just like, I didn't do shit today. I mean, I was, I probably was spending 30 hours a week on Reddit. <laughs> I've, I've, I've gone to pages of Reddit that men have never even known. I've been to <laughs> thousands of pages back unknown pages of reddit <laughs> deep that, that, that was my deep job <laughs> yeah. when, when you're in israel you were like someday i'm going to be a massive internet creator and i'm going to spend my time <laughs> mining like the deepest depths of the internet in preparation <laughs> yeah exactly it was crap you know in finland in finland the prime minister had called for employers to allow employees to work not only four days but six hours a day so they are taking it to the next level. That's some next level stuff. <laughs> like, I, I might not, I might not go to that to, that extreme, but uh, but I like where their heads are at. Right? Can but we I'll, just not work? Yeah, in Finland they're saying no work. But you know, uh, I'll tell you what, because as business owners, we're always thinking about like morale, and you want to retain the good. The, you want to retain the talent and make sure that they're happy and satisfied working there. So mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, on a four-day work week, I don't think anyone's going to leave your company. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it sounds your exciting. Your morale and retention would be very, very high. I'm yeah. sure your your staff that are listening to this are like subtly nodding, being like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know <laughs> if like I can do that for you, Dan and Ian and Zach. Because we have a production schedule. What can I do? I can't give you the... You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm hey, sorry. I, I used to work in movies. This is this is easy by comparison. There you go. That's mm-hmm. what so you don't work there. us like uh, 14 hours days regularly. Well, and and this yeah. is as someone because I've also run startups, and most of the startups I ran, uh, we worked our asses off. You know what yeah. I mean? So like, it, so there there isn't like uh, there there isn't some something against hard work. I mean, I love I love working hard. Uh, <laughs> You know, that was one of the funny things about running for president on universal basic income where people are like, well, what about work? And then, <laughs> and then like, depending upon my mood, I would respond in different ways. But sometimes I'd be glib and be like, I'm Asian. I love work. <laughs> and people would uh, then, you know, back off a little bit. But uh, <laughs> but that that is one of the fallacies, right, about the UBI. People say, oh, you're just not going to work. But the, I feel like that's such a misunderstanding of the human condition. I mean, nobody just wants to have no purpose in life. I mean, right. that's that's outrageous. Well, well, this is the thing that that like, you know, like makes makes you laugh is like they'll say two things simultaneously. One, work is the most important element of human life, and without it, we are lost. Hmm. And two. No one will want to do it if you give them a little bit of money. Great, yeah, <laughs> like, great, like, like those, great. Those, those point. two things don't really come together. It's like if it's so crucial, then wouldn't we do it anyway? Maybe <laughs> I so, think, so slightly broadly also, defined. That's a great point. I feel like also the beautiful thing about UBI is that it goes to everyone at 
any different position that they are in life. So you could be having a crisis. You could be having a mental thing that doesn't allow you to work right now. Mm -hmm. You know, you could be having a physical injury that you can't work right now, even if you want to. So it reaches everyone at different places in their life. You know, of course, yeah. Like I mean, it's yeah. it's funny that you're just thinking about this one situation where you're healthy and you do want to work, but like you're not gonna work because you have money. Because you're getting what a thousand dollars <laughs> a month. Yeah. Yeah. What if you have an ailing loved one? What if you have uh, a <laughs> yeah. you know, a young child or something or mental illness or or yeah. Like right now we have this incredible the pandemic. <laughs> we have a yeah, or you're in a pandemic. We have this homeless problem, homelessness problem. That's just kind of crushing LA right now. And if you gave each homeless person, uh, if there was that bottom, you know, social safety net, I think you would see a lot, lot less, almost probably to zero in terms of homelessness, you know. Now, if you had that level of resources, you could reduce homelessness very, very dramatically. Uh, the issue it would be the transition because some of the people that are homeless right now are have mental health problems or drug addiction problems mm -hmm. and then and and don't may not even have a bank account where it's like yes. trying to send you the money like what, mm -hmm. what's going on but over time if you knew that everyone had this money that they were entitled to then you would reduce homelessness pretty quickly because yeah. then it would just look around and be like wait a minute <laughs> like, like what's going on this person has got like thousand yeah. dollars a, a year in value like you know I just need to freaking um, make sure that it's actually uh, working for them in a way, and and if, to the extent that people aren't in a position where it would work for them <laughs> because of their own volition, like it'd actually be pretty straightforward to like help it work for them, where you'd have like an organization being like right. for every homeless person I like bring into the shelter, like we're gonna get thousands of dollars, <laughs> so like like let's go get that done. I mean, uh, it it's it, it is funny how. Uh, market driven everything is in the US but if you give everyone intrinsic value then all of a sudden like the, the market mm. value starts kicking in for people mm. you know the other the other kind of nice thing I like about the four day week is something I, I always thought about when I was working in my my desk job it's like you pointed out this kind of uh, workaholicness I think it's kind of in Israel it's the same you know in a lot of developed countries or around the world, I think people just have this um, overwhelming uh, pressure, social pressure, to show how much they care about their job by working unreasonable hours. You know, it's like in, in Europe, I was always blown away by the fact that people get like an entire month off, you know. And there's August, freaking everyone disappears. I mean, that, that to me is, is unfathomable that... Uh, and then the thing that, that blew my mind is when you learned that, like, Chinese New Year, even in China, these people, people are getting a month off. You don't see that, or two months off even. In, in mm, no. A month off. In America, we don't but have that. A little less than a month. Chinese we don't have yeah. that. <coughs> they, they travel back to their hometowns in many yeah. cases. I think it's less than a month, but it's significant. Yeah. Um, though, though their work week, I think, is like the Israeli model of six days. <laughs> oh, really? Well, so, <laughs> so they, they work hard. But the thing is, in Israel, too, you don't have that. Well, you get holidays, but not like a designated time off. And no. so to me, it's like we, we as human beings need to be defined by more than just our jobs. Mm -hmm. Now, I think a four-day work week would be a massive value out of the United States. But I, I think that you know, you wouldn't make it uh, one size fits all for every organization because I've been mm -hmm. parts of some organizations where you probably want to have, uh, you know, like a, 
a longer work schedule and there are certain types of roles and um where it makes sense but i think as a default setting where like the expectation is you have a four-day work week i think mm-hmm. it would be a, an incredible improvement in large part because of what you just said ethan which is like what is the purpose of life yeah. um is it our job or is it something bigger uh that integrates a job includes a job but it's not like exclusively a job so uh the four-day work week is something that to me would actually make work like an appropriate <laughs> part of our lives right um mm-hmm. you know uh in a way that right now we have to be honest that it's just creeping upwards like it's it's going like from five plus into like that zone mm. uh and i'm a data guy and there are very very clear signs that right now it's having a damaging effect on our health mental health stress levels relationships family mm-hmm. formation um, and all of that stuff was pre-pandemic. Mm. Um, the, the post in the pandemic, uh, we just have to do anything we can to give people like a, a real sense of well-being, and, and even folks who are doing well, quote unquote, like relatively speaking, during this time, are not exactly like necessarily mentally mm. doing well. You know, there's just a lot of uh, there's a lot of stress right now um, that I think if you had a couple of days a week or three days a week where you were genuinely disengaged from work, it would be like enormously helpful for so many of us. Do you see yourself doing that? You know, it's funny. It's like it certainly sounded like I was talking about myself just then. Um, I mean, for for me, I'm in a similar boat to you, I think, where you know, we're in a situation where we're just trying to do positive things and help people. Like I'm very busy right now. Uh, you know, I just spoke at the DNC last night and then I went and talked about my speaking at the DNC <laughs> <laughs> later, later in the night. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're distributing economic relief like you. We're working on this data project where we're trying to get people paid for their data. Um, I'm helping these down ballot candidates who are running on universal basic income because we got to try and mm. make it happen for folks. So I'm campaigning for them all the time. Uh, I'm campaigning for Joe and Kamala against Trump. So I'm busier than ever, and it's <laughs> cool in the sense that like the world is on fire, and I, I feel like uh, thanks to you and thanks to you, um, some other folks who believed in in me, like <laughs> I feel like I've got something of a fire extinguisher. Yeah, you know, yeah, world's on right. fire, and I got a fire extinguisher. That's great. Um, so, like, I better fucking try and put the fire out because you know it's like not everyone has a fire extinguisher. Um, it's just like you guys, where you looked up too. You were like, wow, there's a lot of freaking uh, need and suffering right now, and like yeah. I can help. So you tried to help. Like I'm in the same boat you are, where th- th- this is a time for me to. Like not worry too much about you know like you know my my own uh, like balance. <laughs> as, as, yeah, as yeah. I mean, right. It's I think it's different for entrepreneurs or people who manage. I mean, obviously, it's it's important, but for people who don't have much of a choice in the matter, you know, who are expected yeah. to do things. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep 
lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep Quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com yang. This is their best offer yet and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. You know, when you were you were running for president, you made it super far. What were you like the fifth candidate? Around there, yeah, something like that. You don't remember the exact number? Well, there were different kinds of Polls, no, we, we could right? go, no, yeah, there are different levels oh, but I mean, and stuff. So I'm thinking oh, about the people over yeah. there were, uh, yeah, you like, were like, I might have been sixth. I like five. Let's say five. <laughs> Top five. Let's do yeah. it. Why not? But I mean, I was Yang Gang all the way. I still am. <clears throat> when you left the, when you dropped out of the presidential race, you endorsed uh, Joe Biden and you got a lot of shit for that. And I was fascinated by... I do remember that. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I was fascinated by the response of how people felt betrayed by the fact that you had endorsed Joe Biden. Well, I mean, wh what was that experience like for you to get to have some of your uh, supporters turn on you? You know, I, I spent a full day or so just responding to people being like, hey, I understand why you're angry. Like, because uh, I appreciate everyone who supported me a great, great deal. Uh, and, you know, if they disagreed with my uh my opinion and, or judgment or decision at that time, I just wanted to try and uh, explain. Um, and in my case, too, uh, Joe called me and asked me for my endorsement. And I, I essentially, like, I was like, look, I, I kind of want to uh, let this process play out. Uh, and then I endorsed him when, um, to me, he was going to be the nominee and I was like, all right, like I, I should do what I can to unify the party right. mm -hmm. um, and, and bring us together. Um, so I understood, I understood where people were coming from uh, and I tried to address it and hopefully over the past number of days and weeks, like, you know, more people have um, come to understand like the situation we're in and, you know, like the, hopefully they're going to support Joe because to me it's Joe or Trump and, um, but I get it because I, I was a burner. I like Bernie a lot and mm. Bernie was right about so much. And so if someone was like, fuck you, Yang, like, you know, like you, you like uh, in, endorsed the wrong guy, I'd be like, I totally get it because like I love Bernie too. And like, you know, mm -hmm. at like, that point he had pretty much had no chance of, of winning. It was yeah, I, I, I am the math guy. I saw the math and yeah. I was like, this is not. <laughs> This is not going to happen because, yeah, like, yeah. you know, like, like I'll put it in, you know, actual terms. He needed to win Michigan um, in a significant way to have a chance. And 
and he did not. And then, mm. then I was like, this, this shit's over. Like, yeah. uh, you know, like, like I, I, because he, I, he like won Michigan, uh, last time. Mm. So like you saw, ah. you know, like if, if he didn't win it mm. this mm-hmm. time against Joe, it was, it was like, it, you know, there, there was no path. Yeah. What is it like to get a call from Joe Biden asking for your endorsement? What does he say to you? Uh, he calls, I mean, he's Joe. So he's just like, he's like, Hey pal, like, you know, <laughs> how are you like, <laughs> you know, like, um, like how's, how's the family Like you know, we make small talk for a little bit. And then he's like, Hey, could really use your support. Like, like we need you. Hmm. Uh, so and you told him, let's you know, hold oh, okay. on. That's pretty epic. I, I, you, you, I, <laughs> I will, I will say this, and this is something that, um, so there are folks who are running who are politicians and some would take that as a pejorative and I use it as a pejorative or mm. like a negative term myself mm. sometimes like, ah, oh, politicians, you know, cause I, I don't uh-huh. really consider myself much of a politician. Um, but there is something to be said for folks who are effective at reaching out and like calling and whatnot. And Joe's one of those people. Joe's mm. like a bridge builder and relationship builder. Um, so, it, you know, it's, and I, I have to say like when you get that phone call, like it, it does make you like more likely to want to help the person, yeah. you know, yeah. you're like, Oh shit, you know, cause you're a human being and like the yeah. human being calls you and is like, Hey, you want to help? It'd be like, you know, you feel like a bit of an asshole being like, I mean, no, sorry, I can't dude, do it. So it's yeah. kind of amazing from what, like what, one or two years ago from where you were to getting a call from the vice president asking for your support. <laughs> I, and I'll say like, you know, Joe called me more than once too, you know? <laughs> so it's not even like there's like, you have his number, you have his cell number. Um, so Joe's not really the texting type. <laughs> How does <laughs> it go? The that, does, does, does the call come from like, I've got Joe, uh, I've got uh, the vice president on the in, phone for in, you. In, in his case, it's like, I've got the vice president yeah, for you, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, in that sense. Some of the other candidates, you know, we, we actually do text, like we've got each other's cell phone numbers. Um, but but Joe, you know, like Joe. He's old never school. Tr- traded numbers. Yeah, it's like, you know, yeah, like the um, Once the you've team. been, but, yeah. But I, I did get it, and That's you're right cool. too that that like the ascent um, was, uh, you know, very dramatic and, and rapid. Again, largely thanks to people like you and Hila who understood uh, the problems I was trying to solve and like the approach I was taking and and had like the vision. I mean, I, I uh, super appreciative to both of you because you're so human, and there's something about some of the roles that we all have where. Uh, and you, you know, so you know, not you remember your office job in Israel and whatnot, and like you weren't being paid to be like ultra human <laughs> at that time. You were being paid to like do whatever the heck the role they needed you to do for uh, X days, and it it took people like you getting behind me to get me to a point where I could make a positive difference. Uh, it's one reason I'm glad I'm thrilled to be back with you all because. Um, yeah, it's it, well, you know, I mean, I just love and appreciate both of you and feel like we're in a similar boat where you're looking around the world just saying, like, is this really where we are? And, yeah, you know, like, let's try and move it, move in a better direction. Are we looking at a cabinet position? What's going on here? Yeah. Uh, so that's there's absolutely nothing has been you know uh, discussed in like a hyper official level, but unofficially. Um, in the conversations we've had, people are like would love to have you on the team. Would love to ooh, work with ooh, you, like things, things like that. I love so, that. We would love. What do you so, want to so be? There, what's your dream? What's your dream position there? So what I've been saying uh, to 
folks is that I want to try and speed us up on these technology issues. And, and we could, you know, I think the three of us could talk about this stuff for hours. But our government is just so out to launch on technology <laughs> issues. Mm. Uh, mm. And so that could be AI, that could be the selling and reselling of our data, that mm. could be mm. uh, media and social media, that could be mental health issues that are attendant with smartphone adoption on the part of teenage girls. Does that, like, yeah. like, there are all of these issues. Does that cabinet position even exist? It does not. Uh, <laughs> right. and there, so that's the ad- <laughs> uh, But there, there's an advantage there because uh, if they created a new role for me, then it's not like they'd be blocking anyone out because it's not like there are like 15 people being like, hey, I really want to be can we create Secretary a new, of Innovation and Technology. Can we create a new cabinet uh, branch? Yes, that is something. So, yeah, you can. That's the short answer. I mean, mm. that, that seems like a great... A great place to go in perfect Yang style. Cabinet of Technology. Mm, Secretary of Technology. Secretary of Technology and Innovation. Actually, the Washington yes. Post just just put that out there today. They said, here's the cabinet we recommend. And they said, Andrew Yang, oh. uh, like a Secretary of Technology and Innovation that <laughs> advises awesome. all of the other uh, cabinet uh, members. That's oh so my cool. God, that would be amazing. I'm lobbying for that from now on. <laughs> Can we do anything? I, think, I actually think Joe would. Could, I think Joe could garner a lot of of uh, support by by making that happen. Do we have any input in making that happen? Like, can we do anything? <laughs> uh, if if people were to, if there was a groundswell of support, being like, "Hey, Joe, like, if you signal to everyone that you're going to name Andrew the Secretary of Technology and Innovation, it would help us vote for you." Um, they might do it because there's no reason not to really. I mean, mm-hmm. like, again, it's not like a role that exists presently. And so, you know, it would make him seem forward thinking. So if enough people and this stuff, you know, it, it's not uh, that under the radar in the sense, again, the Washington mm-hmm. Post just recommended it. Yeah. So and when I've spoken to people that like me, they were like, well, this like makes me more excited about Joe if, if yeah. they bring you on yeah. in this capacity. Yeah, totally. Okay, let me move on to another controversy. CNN, the ultimate betrayal. <laughs> so after the uh, after the uh, after you dropped out, you then you took a um, position at CNN as a how how, how is it called? It's like a political commentator. Yeah. Or something like that. Which, by the way, I love seeing you on there. I'm, yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm not. I'm not criticizing you. But again, that was another thing where people are like, "Oh, Yang is working at CNN. He's just he. It's a total betrayal." <laughs> what do you say to that? What do you say to people who say that? Because a lot of people say C C eh, C CNN as uh, fake news, right? <laughs> so yeah, I know it's hard to say C CNN. So what do you say oh, to that? This is another thing where I, I kind of sympathize in the sense that when I was the mavericky outsider presidential candidate, you know, like a lot of the media organizations, uh, you know, kind of marginalized me at various points. Uh, and there are some people that are very skeptical uh, of the news media. In my case, when they asked me, said, hey, do you want to come on and talk about the debates? Um, it was like a short term offer and deal and to me it was like initially I was like oh this can be something where I keep my uh, I keep my voice out there and yeah. like hopefully mm-hmm. try and do something positive 
Um, particularly because the, the campaign ends, you know, you're like thinking, okay, like I'm going to start an organization and do these things. But like, it seemed like a way to maintain a place in the public eye. Um, mm. And then, and initially I was like, well, I don't know, who knows how long this will go for. Maybe I don't like it. Maybe they don't like me. Um, and then they said to me very quickly thereafter, they were like, hey, like we like you, you know, you want to make this like a little bit um, more longstanding. Uh, so I would understand, again, skepticism where people are like, hey, like, you know, screw the media. Um, in my case, it's like, a, well, I used to literally like be like fight to try and get on these networks mm. and be like, please, please, like get me on. <laughs> now they pay you. <laughs> <laughs> and then now they're like having me on and I can hopefully both push ideas that I think are important. But the other thing is that uh, like I, I thought it was very helpful to normalize me f- to more Americans because if you mm-hmm. look up, we had like a Donald Trump in the White House in part because he was in everyone's living rooms for years. It's like you're fired and like this apprentice nonsense. And then people were like, oh, he's like the boss, like, you know, and then <laughs> sort, of, sort of like life imitating reality where it's like we should make that guy president. Uh, so like I started out as such the um, outsider figure that I thought that if I could become more familiar to more Americans where it's like, Oh, I trust that guy. You know, he's like, uh, mm. and then for, for some people that are like listening to this being like, I would never trust anyone on that. But you know, there are many Americans who, who would trust someone more if they uh, were on their TV set consistently for mm. a period of time. I love um, it. Whenever I see you there, it brings a smile on my face because <laughs> oh, usually thanks, you. that makes me so happy that, <laughs> yeah, makes you well, usually it's like yeah. so depressing having this stuff on All and um it, i don't know it's just it it feels so repetitive and you know what they're gonna say but you always have this freshness about you and you just talk simply and it makes sense and you got good ideas so well thanks you i agree like yeah so <laughs> It's been uh, it's been an interesting experience for me because uh, like I had never really done that kind of media pre my presidential run, um, but I'm glad that you find my presence uplifting and that I say something yeah. reasonably. Uh, I think you make a really good point though, happy. because it's like if you think CNN is fake news and full of all this crap, why don't we get someone on there who you know can bring a dose of uh, reality and realism to it, right? So right. maybe. Because they don't, do they give you notes? Are they like, yo, here's our talking points. We got to stick to this. Like, mm. is there any kind of shadowy behind the scenes shit going on? Uh, <laughs> there has not been where I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, they just stick a mic in my face and being like, Andrew, what did you think just happened? And then mm-hmm. I like say something and then, you know, like. I, no I've memos. Gotten z- I've gotten zero uh, direction and zero feedback. There has never been <laughs> any like, hey, Yang, like settle right. that shit down or, you know, <laughs> like. Or like, you know, you said Tulsi Gabbard's name or like, <laughs> like, like there's been zero of that. Mm. It's, it's been always like, you're clear, get lost. <laughs> so, um, so, so that, that's also something, you know, it's like, it, it's felt positive where just this week at the uh, DNC or whatever, I thought like AOC had been uh, miscast, frankly, like, and, and underutilized. And then getting the chance to say that on CNN, I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I'm really excited. I can actually point out something. I think it's like a real problem with what, um, you know, with the decision that was made. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I've hopefully people like still feel like it's me, I guess. Like, I haven't become some... Definitely. Um, I can say as a supporter, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that yeah, it's, it's Yang on TV. 
How's that? Is that a good job? They pay you all right? <laughs> it's not, it's not, uh, you know, it's no Teddy Fresh, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I mean, they, they do, they, they do pay me every month. And, uh, you how, know, did, how does I it mean, work? Do, they, do you just on call from a certain, I've always wondered how those jobs work because they have shows, they have different like commentators and then they bring in the people to do the, the, the co-commentary. So are you on call a certain hours a day and then they zap you in? How does that work? Yeah, I I never knew how it worked either, and I'm still not sure if this is how it works for everyone. But I'll tell you how it works for me. So, so, so they say is they say, hey, um, just be available, and then I'll get a ping from someone, typically at least 24 hours in advance, saying like this show would like to have you on uh, to talk about something that happened uh, or something in my wheelhouse. Um, and then the other thing that will happen was they'll be like, hey, there's this occasion, let's call it the D the Democratic National Convention, where we want you on every night from this to, mm. to this. So those are like the two types of do they, um, context I get. So do they pay you a retainer or do you get paid more the more airtime you get? I get a retainer. So mm. like it's the expectation is just that, you know, if, if they ask me to do something that I'll be reasonably available. Mm. But if, if I say, cool. like, hey, yeah, I'm that just seems not, like a good I'm job. Just, yeah. I'm just not free that day, then they'll be like, all right. <laughs> go away. It's like, wow, that's so, awesome. So, really congratulations. Cool. Me. I mean, I congratulations really on the job. I think it's great. Yeah. I'm happy you're doing it. Uh, USPS. Why do we, why should we burn USPS to the ground, Andrew? <laughs> Tell me what should we do about USPS? Do we destroy you know, those, it? Do we dismantle it? <laughs> it's not profitable. No, it, <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's really the summary, Ethan. It's like an American life. It doesn't make money, kill it. If you don't make money, you're an infant, die. You know, it's like whatever the heck the, the problem is. I mean, that that's pretty much where we've gotten to in American life now, where like we're, we're trying just trying to turn everything into an economic instrument, and if like it, it's not uh, profitable, then you know it should stop existing. Uh, so the post office, I will say, I think that. Uh, the the attack on the post office stuff like I don't think it's going to um, impact the fundamental operations of, of the post office but hmm. it is true that we we need to uh, we need to fund the post office to a higher degree and just accept that look it could be that mail does not make money uh, on a you know and in on an annual basis uh, and there are ton there are tons of things that we do that make our post office less competitive anyway it's like expecting it to make money. And then keeping it from doing things that could make money is just so dumb. And I don't know if Israel's really smart, so you probably already do this, but like in a lot of countries, they give the post office other shit to do. You know, it's like you can do like basic banking services from the post office. Like there are, oh. there are things you can do here in the US, it'd be like, well, you can't do that because it would compete with like the check cashers <laughs> or, or whatever, like these, these private firms that do various, like you can do a lot of routine stuff in post offices around the mm. world in the US. Yeah. Like, you, they, you know, there are real restrictions on all of that stuff. That's true. I think you can do some stuff. I can't remember right now. I think you can have yeah. a checking cut. You can convert money. Right. Stuff like that. But I but look, it's in the name. It says postal service. <laughs> it's a service. Yeah, it's it's literally just something that's supposed to be uh provided to us. Uh and I saw something that was really interesting where we invested a ton in the post office early on just to connect communities. You know, like that where literally 
you had these frontier settlements <laughs> right <laughs> and you had to like have some dude on a horse and like a sack yeah. of mail like getting them their, their mail like there were massive investments just to try and connect people mm. and that connectivity helped lead to trillions of dollars in economic development mm. over time uh and then at some point we turned on it we're like you got to make money like every day <laughs> you know it's just like it's like an investment in civilization <laughs> right and i mean if you deliver a letter to the middle of like uh some super remote location in nebraska i mean there's just there's no way that that will ever be profitable you know but we do it to keep our country modern and connected. It's like you said, and, civilization. And that post office in Nebraska is a freaking hub for that town, you know? Like that, mm. like they literally go in and it's one reason why I think having different purposes for the post office could be so important. There's another informal gathering space that I think could be key uh, in a lot of communities, and that's the town library. Mm. And it's like, how the hell do town libraries, you know, <clears throat> quote, won't make money? It's, it's like you go in there, they right. like freaking charging you an arm and a leg for like borrowing that children's book. <laughs> um, but, but one of the things that the town library could mm. do uh, is to try and replace some of the thousand plus local newspapers that have gone out of business in the United States because mm. all the content got digitized and you can't make money off of uh, classified ads anymore because it all went to the it went to Craigslist. Uh, and so what happens is you get rid of the local paper in a town, which is terrible and it's bad for democracy. And like, how can you vote on what's going on in your town if literally no one's even covering what's going on in your town? It's very important mm -hmm. for identity to have some kind of local publication. Mm -hmm. But in towns where the local paper uh, got eliminated, what happened was the town library often ended up putting up like a bulletin board or like a community board that becomes the de facto what is going on in my town situation so you can imagine like a revved up version of a town bulletin board coming out of town libraries mm. um like, like there, there are things we need to invest in uh in a lot of these communities that are getting decimated right now because they don't make money hmm. well that's i mean that's sad and i think it's something we really need to kind of change in how we view a lot of things that not everything's going to make money. I mean, geez, how do we convince ourselves that this was, this was the right way to evaluate things? I mean, it's wild. I mean, you. It's been a. Yeah, it's I been mean, like a massive conditioning <laughs> of, of American culture. I mean, what, what does over it the say? Last Forty years. What does it say about human beings as workers? You know, if if you if you can't look at anything and not see its value if it doesn't make money, what does it say about human beings well this is what i was running on before was that i i knew that we'd been conditioned to think that we all needed to be economically productive and then i said you know what technology is going to surpass our productivity in a lot of these arenas mm -hmm. pretty quick and if we don't start evaluating ourselves in a different way then it's going to lead to to disaster and now we're seeing some version of it um, with the pandemic. Uh, and so I think universal basic income would very quickly disentangle uh, this confusion, the, the the mixing of economic value and human value. Because if you all just start getting money for breathing, for living, for existing, then you can start to feel like, okay, we all have some worth that's independent of mm. uh, how much money I'm making at any moment in time. Mm. Uh, and then that alone would humanize your perspective really quickly. Mm -hmm.
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Do you, uh, are you, you, I know you've already endorsed Joe Biden, but is there any chance we can get you to vote for Kanye 2020 vision? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'll tell you guys a story because it's fun. But like um, a mutual friend actually connected me with Kanye on the cell phone. And so like uh, he was just like, hey, uh, wanted to connect you with Kanye because he wanted me to talk to Kanye about his run hmm. uh, because, you know, I ran for president. And it's like if anybody was going to tell Kanye what the presidential deal was. Um, so then Kanye called me. I missed the call. And I, uh, so we, I played phone tag with Kanye. And I got like a text oh. message from him. And, uh, and then, um, you know, and I was like, you know, like – Okay, like if if he wants to connect, it'd be all good. And we have some mutual friends. Um, uh, that, you know, obviously, like the friend that put us in touch was one, and then I have others too. Uh, so, uh, you know, Kanye's a creative genius, and uh, <laughs> you know, like I'm definitely not going to be voting for him. But okay, so you that's interesting. You guys never connected. I would. I wish you guys connected. I'd love to hear that. You know, you know what I should do right now is I should fucking call, call Kanye him. while we're on this. Right. Call him. Like, hey, what's up? Yeah. I mean, we missed each other's calls. You would appreciate calls. that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, try to get him on FaceTime. He, uh, would you mind giving his phone number to Ian? Ian, our, our, our uh, employee, is a huge Kanye fan. <laughs> Ian, is there anything cool. you want? Uh, I d don't meet your idols, you know. Uh, Ian, is there anything you want Yang to text Kanye? Let's see if I have this shit in my phone. Hang on. <laughs> I, uh, Ask him where the album is. That's it. Okay, wow. it's 307. I'm kidding. <laughs> Steve Bannon just went to prison for the great Build the Wall. I got to say, Build the wall. It's so funny how it quickly went from Mexico will pay for the wall to <laughs> we'll pay for the wall to I'll just I'll 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 just keep the money. <laughs> There's no wall. I'll just Mexico keep the money. Mexico will pay for the wall to how about you pay for the wall? <laughs> to how about you pay <laughs> how me? How about I take the <laughs> yeah. money and then I spend hundreds of thousands of dollars of it. I mean it's myself. it's it's incredible that um <laughs> Were you blown away by that build the wall GoFundMe? Because when that came out, it was blowing my mind. I mean, it was just, it was so active. I could not believe, I saw people saying, I just donated my entire tax refund, $3,000. And these are not rich people, right? I'm sure they could have really used that money, especially now. And like $25 million, how, many, how much wall does that get you? Like quarter mile? You know, <laughs> I have to, I, so I did this exercise when I was trying to figure out what was going on with like the truckers and like how much it would cost to lay a highway across the country that would just accommodate robot trucks. I was trying to figure oh. out mm. like like if, if you're going to save tens of billions of dollars a year, like would it just pay pay off just to like make a a highway that's like eight lines wide that's just for robot trucks? Mm. And I did the math, and it turns out 
Yeah, you could. You it actually would pay for itself if you just decided to fucking like mm. just <laughs> like like lay the robot superhighway and just wait. How much could have the cost? robot trucks go back and forth? Um, it, it costs somewhere in like the uh, the low billions. Uh, That's it. So you get your money back um, over time. Wait, when um, you say so low, wait, when you say low billions, are we talking like like below five hundred? What does that mean? Low billions? What's what's well? So give me a so I, I was like one. So two? it was. Uh, and so I, I, you know, I haven't done the math in a while, but uh, <laughs> like uh, I was, <laughs> I was trying to figure out. It was like so this, the cost savings around uh, automated trucking are tens of billions of dollars a year, and, and but the main impediment is our infrastructure because like we have mm. you know like highway problems, and you also have this uh, political problem that if you had a robot truck that. Uh, killed someone on the the highway that right. people would be like oh like you know fuck the robot trucks um so then i was like okay like c- like could you make it so there was no pedestrian traffic on this highway um by just making a new highway and i was like how expensive is it to make a new highway in the united states of america so like i found out what like the per mile was and then i <laughs> like did like the thousands of miles but that, the, see, but that's the rest the c- of it so, the so then, like you do a similar estimate for the wall is where I was going. Uh-huh. It was like, how much does it cost to make a wall over like <laughs> like how long? It's like, what a, what kind of wall can I get for twenty five million? Not much of a wall. Eh? I mean, I'd, I'd love to see what like and and the the thing, I mean, all of its averages because like there's certain parts where you could get a lot of wall for that much money because like the train's really nice, and then other places you could be like, I can't build a fucking wall here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like you don't have to find like the most opportune place. And anyway, um, well. It is fantastic, I think, that they ended up just pocket. I mean, they didn't really pocket the money, but they, like, bought a boat. They were, they actually, well, Steve Bannon got charged for um, laundering money and wire fraud. So they were, like, we're laundering the money. They were funneling it. And, like, the guy who set up the foundation bought a boat. It was fucking awesome, like. There's always a boat involved. Yeah, there's it's always like, a boat involved. Know, like, that's that's <laughs> that's the cardinal rule, isn't it? Oh, yeah, so it's like you like you know I did something illicit. If I just turn up and be like, "Hey, you gotta come see the boat." Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. And it always has some name that's somehow related to some shady way I made the money. Being like, you know. Steve, Steve Bannon got arrested on a boat. Even oh, he was oh. on the boat when he was arrested. Wow. It, was, it wasn't uh, his own boat. He was on. It was actually weird twist to the story. He was on some Chinese billionaire's boat, and of they they boarded the boat and arrested him out on the high seas. It was like an interception. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah, very crazy. That's wild. That you know, that sounds like a movie scene. Yeah, awesome. it does. There could totally. be like, like Chris Hemsworth like comes down to like the. They should have sent Chris Hemsworth to arrest him. That would have been awesome. Yeah, I see a true documentary coming out about this called "Build the Wall" or something about like the high crime documentary. Andrew, <laughs> if you get this cabinet position, which we're all hoping for, tell me, tell me, what are the first things that you think? Like you're sitting down in America, you're part of of the president's cabinet. What do we need to do first? What is the most pressing things we need to address in this country, America? I mean, clearly it's cash relief and universal basic income. You know, it's like, that's like the simple thing. Um, it sounds, you know, that's to me, the single best thing we could do for people. So let's if say, you say, if let's, you say something technology related, then I, I you know, I, I, I'd actually choose something related, which is what we talked about earlier around the fact that we didn't actually have a system set up to get people money. So hmm. we use the IRS check distribution system. Um, and I think it's bad for our confidence in our government that 
it sucks so bad at a lot of these things <laughs> where like if you go to uh, your bank's website or whatever, you just expect it to work mm. generally at a certain level. Um, and then so you'd be like, well, why doesn't the government have something? So one thing I'd love to invest in would be essentially a citizen portal mm. where if there was something like we're trying to get you money or trying to get you information or so the lamest version of this would be a citizen portal where it's essentially like here are all of these links to other fucking government websites that you can go to. Like that would be the the absolute worst version. The best version <laughs> would be so, so <laughs> you know what I mean? Like one of those boards yeah. where it's like here's a freaking flurry of uh, websites to go to. <laughs> Fuck you, but no. Uh, and then, but but like the, the, like the the good version would be like a a slick interface where you know like the information from let's call it your tax returns uh, or uh, from uh, the passport office or wherever the heck like could actually be compiled. Uh, because part of the thing that makes me angry right now is that like you're hearing a lot of messages from folks all the time associated with politics, which is like, trust us, trust us, you got to trust us. And it's like, well, like you guys don't really deliver <laughs> at the same level as like some of the other organizations I'm used to interacting with. Um, so I would love to try and help the government deliver at like uh, on a technical level, because I think it would be enormous for our confidence. Mm. Uh, so that would be something I would love to, especially if it was tied to universal basic income, because I think that there is a relationship where, um, we need to actually know who you are, know how to get you money, mm -hmm. have to have some kind of secure relationship with you and interface with you if we're going to try and, you know, add value. Don't you think the big problem is that all of our elected officials and even, you know, uh, Joe Biden, I mean, how old is Joe? He's like 74 or something like that. I mean, um, I think I think he's uh, like 76 or 77. I think um, I, I don't want to misspeak. I should know that. I he's mean, he's in his. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, OK. Are you looking it up? OK. Let's see. I mean, maybe one of your team can. Yeah. Look it up, uh, Zach. He's uh, 77 years old. Whoa. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so don't you think that's the it, we need young people who understand this like a 70s I've no 77 year old people they're not interested in cash app. Do you know what I mean? They understand checks. And that's not their fault. It's just mm -hmm. the way it is. But I think like we have this tendency of electing especially lately old people to office. Even Donald Trump is in his 70s, right? He's like 72, 73 years old. I mean these although he's a little 74 to be oh 74 check that one too somehow he doesn't somehow trump i guess he's maybe got a young he's got a young energy like yeah, such an asshole yeah. he's got that asshole energy that right. you associate he with like he, do, he does a lot i think he does a lot with this he does like a spray tan and that he hair just, he's used to the cameras i think he just on camera i think it comes off like that obviously i never met him in person but i have a feeling if you saw him in person he would look that age mm. to you I do give him credit. He is he has a more youthful uh, spirit for whatever reason. And he's on Twitter. That's pretty that's that pretty epic. True. But that being said, I don't think Trump uses Cash App either. And so what we need is pe is is younger people. I really truly think we just need younger people and that's one of the reasons not that was one of the reasons why I liked you, right? And one of the reasons I like AOC is that we just like AOC does Instagram live every like super frequently to talk directly with her uh People, yeah, yeah. She's, yeah. She's, she's like a digital native. Uh, I think the average age of a 
member of Congress is 62, to your point, Ethan. So it's right. not just presidential candidates. Right. Mm-hmm. Someone called it a gerontocracy. It's like mm. a rule by the old. We essentially have a gerontocracy in the United States of America for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, one of the main reasons is that after you get into Washington, you just try and stay there forever. Mm. Uh, and it's actually very hard to defeat an incumbent. <laughs> so you have folks uh, like um, Nancy Pelosi, I believe, is uh, around Joe's age. Um, and she looks great, but she does. Know, like I the, agree. But, but, our, yeah. but our leaders are of another generation uh, because of the way the structure this is the, the the structures are set up, and it's one reason why I'm for term limits, um, where mm. you should go to D.C. as a term of service, get something done, and then get out. Mm. Uh, and it would help keep our legislators more current and fresh and modern to your point, Ethan, Mm -hmm. because if you go to DC, you'll find it is not exactly a tech friendly town. Uh, you know, like like, like you go, I'll tell a story that was going to make you angry, but it'll be totally consistent with your understanding of the world. Um, (laughs) so, uh, so I was on the trail and then there was like this, uh, uh, Asian kid. He's like, you know, mid twenties, maybe, um, and he interned at his congressional office and then they ha- asked him to like, uh, do, do something, um, uh, like answering messages or data related, like in the office and he was smart. So he set up like a program to like automate the process <laughs> and make it so that, okay, like this thing will like happen more seamlessly and like, you know, like less labor, um, this will be great. And then they yelled at him for it and said like, no, we didn't want you to do that. Like, uh, <laughs> like where, where we actually preferred the way that like the other person uh, could just understand and just like sit there and like just peck at it um, all the time. And he was like, what the hell's going on? And this is like a congressional <laughs> office. And so he left, he now works at Facebook. He like went and worked in DC for like a summer was like, they are freaking stuck in like the stone age. Let me get the hell out of here. And then he like pieced out to Silicon Valley. So like that, that is the mm-hmm. general culture in DC where you go there and you feel like you just rewound mm. uh, like a, a number of years. And if you go into some of these government agencies, it's much, much worse because uh, some of them have been underfunded. So you have like very strange patchwork technologies uh, from past years. Uh, you know, like, I mean, I might be exaggerating, but probably not by much, but like Windows, like 2005 or whatever, like you mm-hmm. go in and they'll, they'll just be <laughs> maybe stuff all over um, in, in different um, different government organizations. So it, the, so that's that's the government we have. Um, and like you said before, it's like not really anyone's fault. Um, but we need to try and speed them up. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm in position to try and move that in a better direction, like I would take it and, and do everything I could. It sounds really we have to necessary. Yeah, we have to do that. I mean, I think the I think the problem is that. The rate of technology has, sur- has passed our our people. It's been going so fast that it's past them, right? When Joe Biden was a when in his forties, even fifties, like 25, 26, 7 years ago, it was uh we were nineteen ninety five. I mean, I don't even know that smartphones were popular then. I don't think no, not even close. They, they were not not no. even close, right? So I mean, in in his own experience in in government the technology has ran around him like 30 times so yeah it's a new it's a new world 
they got rid of the Office of Technology Assessment in 1995, the year you just the perf- described. The Ethan. perfect time oh. to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, they had a they had a department that advised members of Congress on what technology issues you know they should care about and like huh. the opinions. Like why? You know, the why did they do that? Um, why did they get rid of the Office of Technology <laughs> yeah. Assessment? Uh, you know. Like it, it was like to quote unquote save money, which is like the most asinine thing in the world. Cause right. the budget of the entire thing was like 25 million. It was like a fucking yeah. drop in the bucket. You just had some smart people around telling you it's like, Hey, so you know where the uh, legislators get their technology guidance from now? The technology companies and the technology companies are yeah. like do absolutely nothing because everything right. is perfect. And then the legislators are like, "Yeah, that sounds about right." <laughs> so, so that, they're like, "Perfect, that yeah, that whatever requires the least of me." Yeah. So and I mean, especially the, the if you're com- donating twenty five million dollars to my campaign, that's fantastic. There was a period, and it's been interesting to see the pendulum swing somewhat. So. Uh, Silicon Valley could do no wrong for a long time where DC is concerned. There's like, oh, you're like the innovators, you're the super value creators, and you're rich as fuck, and you donate to my campaign, so let's just like, <laughs> like leave you the heck alone and just sing your praises every chance we get. Uh, and then that pendulum has swung because of uh, like uh, Facebook screwing some things the up and, uh, and, and some other problems. Uh, so now everyone's starting to turn on, uh, turn towards them and be like, wait a minute. Like, mm. <laughs> you know, is, is this really been like cool that Amazon is, you know, like, uh, so one of the things that I think Amazon did wrong there, you know, a bunch of things, but like there's diapers.com where they just lost money on diapers for a while just to, like force diapers.com to sell yeah. to them like 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 amazon did that sort of thing uh, um, so which, just which, just because i don't i i know about that story correct me if i'm what's wrong the story I didn't so hear. they basically like diapers.com was a popular website they're selling lots of diapers amazon lowered their price below that to the point where they were losing money hmm. just to put them out of business hmm. and then they raised their prices back up when they go that's under that's not cool no, yeah, I, no, I think, no, it's, it's, I think just, that's so a, they go out of business. It was like they come to diapers.com and be like, hey, guys, you guys are awesome. How about we buy you? Over. Mm-hmm. And then diapers.com is like, no. And then Amazon's like, oh, we'll see about this. <laughs> and then they lowered prices to a point wow. where diapers.com was like hemorrhaging money. And then they were like, okay, I guess we will sell to you now. And then Amazon's like, that's what I thought. And then as soon as they buy them, then the prices go back up. That's a, that should be, is that illegal? Um, that is illegal, yes. Uh, or it's illegal in the, in the sense that it's uh, anti-competitive behavior. It's oh, against okay. antitrust law. Um, so so that sort of thing has been coming out now. It, it's something similar with, and this was like, to me, the biggest nonsense was when uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, was asked like, hey, um, the people, the founders of Instagram are worried that if they didn't sell to you, that you were going to try and uh, uh, put them out of business and out-compete with them. Go into destroy mode, I think was the, the term they used. <laughs> destroy mode. And then Mark was like, no, I never would have done that. And then like, right. we all know, it's like, like if Instagram had it sold to, to Facebook, you know there would have been a freaking like Instagram clone out like that. Yeah. Uh, and so so that this is officially, you know, it, it violates antitrust law to, to do certain mm-hmm. anti-competitive things uh, like that. But the the reality is, like, of course, that, you know, if you're in that industry, like, you're going to do everything you can to try and crush anyone who could potentially end up uh, taking your business. I think you have to assume 
there's a lot of that going on we don't know of. With I mean, any company that gets to be that big, you're looking at the Microsofts, you're looking at the Amazons, you're looking at the Facebooks. I mean, you can't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Can you get to be that big of a company without antitrust violations? Without some, anti, without some yeah. anti-competitive behavior? Yeah. It, it'd be difficult. Uh, and the, the thing that most people don't realize now, and, and this is one reason why I think universe-based income is so vital among others, uh, is that some of these companies have essentially just like left orbit in terms of business physics. Hmm. Like you, you think, okay, like I'm a company, I need to like, you know, be efficient and treat my workers well and like sell, sell things at a profit. There are some companies that at this point are just like, <laughs> like hmm. I'm worth a trillion dollars. I don't yeah. even need to make money. Nothing matters. Like <laughs> what's that? You're like a cool startup. Like I can buy you for $400 million and everyone's mm-hmm. rich and I don't even care. Like, like right. they're just so <laughs> unfathomably big that like that, 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 that like nothing applies. I think Tim O'Reilly called it like super money. It's like <laughs> at some point you just get super money and then like nothing matters. And then we still try and pretend and what was funny is when they got brought into Congress, like they pretend too. It's like, oh, we started in the scrappy company. They're like, they, 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 it's like freaking. At this point, they're almost like countries unto themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're like, so they're just so staggeringly, enormously wealthy, and they have now at this point their stock market valuations are propped up in so many ways that they can almost do no wrong, uh, and. Uh, in, in that environment, they're just going to keep sucking up more and more value. Like that, the thing I kept saying to folks on the trail was like, "Look, Amazon's worth a trillion bucks, paid zero in taxes, soaking up twenty billion dollars a year in commerce, closing thirty percent of your stores and malls, and that was pre-crisis." It's like, you know, these this thing's like a black hole. So it's just going to just suck more and more value in, and we're not going to see anything coming out. Um, uh, and you think it's like, oh, it's because they're like out competing. At some point, they just left orbit. And it and the, the funny thing about Amazon is like there have been periods in its past where it didn't even make money. But at this point, you look at it and being like, like th- there was a Walmart executive who complained to me. He said, how can you compete against a company that doesn't even need to make money? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and this was Walmart, which is sort of ironic right. because yeah, Walmart obviously huge. like crushed every yeah. like mom and pop <laughs> retailer in its past. Now he's complaining about Amazon. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, like I joked with the Walmart folks. It's like they were like the tanks that came to American communities around the country just like ran over every mom and pop and then they were like we did it we conquered america and then amazon's like a fucking spaceship (laughs) like hovering over them it's like we don't need to obey the laws of gravity anymore then like walmart's looking up like what do we do and then you have our government over here and like they're just like yeah the the government doesn't understand what is going on and just looking up being like yeah like amazon's a company like any other (laughs) that's like the it's it yeah they have their own I mean, I mean if you look at what's going on with Amazon like Jeff Bezos is so rich he bought the Washington Post with essentially like pocket change from his couch mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know like the Washington Post is a very very influential publication that happens mm-hmm. to be like the main mm-hmm. news source in our nation's capital like do you think that yeah he literally and and he has been relatively hands off like he he has he doesn't go in and be like write about this write about that but it it is it's telling it's that like Amazon up here Jeff Bezos yeah. like you know uh, up here and then like you know our nation's major media 
like news source for our legislators was like down here and he was like yeah like sure <laughs> he just like like took a couple hundred million out of the couch and just you know i mean he's worth at this point hundreds of billions anyway sorry that no like, that was oh, fascinating really and and i think it under really scary too it's terrifying <laughs> i think that analogy of it's like walmart came in with the tanks and but they weren't thinking big enough and amazon came in with the ufo spaceship and just zapped them i keep thinking about the video games you play when you're like you keep Upgrade. finishing and you replay it again with all the upgrades. Oh yeah, just way stronger every time. <laughs> like, yeah, ridiculously I just strong. Want to wrap this story because it's to me is interesting. So the founder, one of the founders of Diapers.com, was a guy named Mark Lore. So then Amazon crushes Diapers.com, absorbs them. Mark Lore becomes rich, but he's mad at Amazon. Mm. <laughs> so he comes back for revenge years later <laughs> and starts Jet.com, raises. I think he raised like uh, like five hundred million dollars, a billion dollars, being like, "We are going to outcompete Amazon and e-commerce." Huh. Like he's like, "I have found the way," okay. and so then, <laughs> and so he got all of these investors to pile into Jet.com, and then Jet.com's like spending. Uh, do you remember Jet.com? No, no. <laughs> no I never heard of it. Jet.com. Jet. <laughs> they had. I think their color was purple. They had like Jet and some smiley. Anyway, so Jet.com spends hundreds of millions trying to fight it out with Amazon and e-commerce. And then Walmart buys Jet.com as a way to try and make themselves competitive against oh. Amazon in e-commerce. So so that's like the how it all fit together. It's uh. like Mark Lore came back for revenge and then ended up like getting absorbed by Walmart in a relatively futile attempt to try and bring down the spaceship. That's anyway. so weird. Why? Oh, that's so funny. And I guess it never happened. It? I mean, yeah, Walmart but... failed to to make it competitive, it sounds like. Yeah, I don't think it's worked out. No. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I'm sure. I don't let's go to Jet.com. I mean, Walmart had to do something. Hold on. Let's see if Jet.com is still... I mean, I hope no, so. It, I, just, I literally it, re it literally redirected to Walmart.com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think they paid a billion dollars for Jet.com. Wow. I, I'm, like, if you can look, look up that. that Were they just thinking, like, like, look, we can't deal with another one of these? I just wanted it, it was it was literally to try and bring on Mark Lore to be like the Amazon killer because if, if there was like any human that represented it was like the, the diapers guy, yeah, the, the, like the David to Amazon Goliath, it was like this guy Mark Lore, and he had a chip on his shoulder because he was like, "I'm back, <laughs> I'm back. You you destroyed my diapers.com." Uh, spaceship and now I'm back with like jet.com wow. and anyway I, I found uh, that story really interesting in large part because Mark was so compelling that he raised hundreds of millions of dollars uh, for an e-commerce company to try and rival Amazon mm -hmm. I thought that was like the most amazing act of salesmanship I had ever heard I was like wow this guy must like be the most convincing dude in the world. Well, they all uh, they all got they all made money. It sounds like by the by the end of it, except Walmart. I, I think that's correct. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> but I think it really underlies this issue of how can we possibly govern in the face of such super money if our regulators and our elected officials don't even understand they're not even what they're aware. looking at. Like their understanding of what's going on at a company like Amazon is so uh, terrestrial. If we're talking, if they're in outer space, these guys are, you know, 
on every, the ground every week i go on, on amazon now i found i find more and more creepy stuff like at first they just had a few like amazon basic items now oh, it's yeah. like every product that you look up they already have an amazon brand that <laughs> yeah, makes it it's amazing I, just, I don't know it creeps me out every yeah, time yeah it's super weird they have they have their own brand for literally for everything things as minute as like a pen a lighter to as big as like uh well, any clothing thing you would look up. Like shopping products, every, everything. They have it. They, they're a machine. So what they do is they have this marketplace, and then they have this giant data dashboard. They figure out as soon as like something's selling at a certain level, right. they're like... They go and make know, it. Just, they, they go and make it. And so you have these horror stories of this company being like... You know, I sold on Amazon. I was happy until yeah. one day, like, you know, the, their competitor came. And I, I couldn't get into the search listings, and now I am dead. And, <laughs> like, they, they're this giant uh, money machine that mm -hmm. just comes in. And, like, it's a combination of, like, endless resources and endless access to us mm -hmm. and our needs and then endless data. Uh, in like, like, there's no there, – there is no real competition. Um, there, there's something – like there's something that has changed about capitalism mm. um and and the problem is that we pretend it's still like the 70s and 80s mm. like that there is like a genuine market between firms when you have these uh these companies that have just reached unprecedented scale size resources um and, and it's being facilitated by this new version of uh of the markets where there are certain companies that just everyone's going to pile into because they're absorbing more and more of the economy. It's like you, you look up and mm. just, you know, you ask anyone, it's like, um, you know, like, like Amazon, Apple, Facebook, uh, Google would be the big ones where you just look up and being like, Hey, you know, if you close your eyes and open them 10 years from now, like, do you think those companies will still be, um, kicking ass and dominating? Like the answer is yes. Unless, uh, unless the government were to change something for one of those companies. Um, and you're starting to see glimmers of that possibility uh, because people are starting to recognize some of the extremes. Um, I, I may be part of this conversation moving forward, too. Mm. Uh-oh, Jeff Bezos just found his biggest, worst enemy. <laughs> it's Jeff not Bezos. Mark Lore, Jeff. It's You've been looking Mark in the Lohr. wrong place. <laughs> You've been looking the wrong way. Okay, in, well, in, in closing, I want to ask you one final question. You have endorsed uh, Joe Biden. Tell me why do you think Joe Biden will make a better president than Donald Trump? Joe Biden would make a better president than Donald Trump on many, many levels. But the things I love about Joe, number one, he's actually a good dude who cares about people and like wants, wants to do right by people. Number two is he's really not very ideological. He's more of like a pragmatist where he's like, what are we going to do? Um, and as part of his pragmatism, he's a consensus seeker. He tries to figure out what the folks around him think is the right approach. And he's not going to be someone to be like, no, screw you. Like, I, I'm sure of like the way to go and it's not what you're saying. Like, he'll actually be like, well, if, if people uh, think that this is the way to go, like, I, I'm into it. Mm -hmm. And then the, the third thing uh, is something I said um, at the convention, which is that Joe has this quality where anything he says becomes the new reasonable. Um, like he came out with a $2 trillion 
green energy proposal that could have been straight out of the Bernie or AOC like uh, playbook. And if one of them had said it, people would have been like, oh, like, you know, aggressive, pie in the sky. But then Joe says it, and everyone's like, yeah, that's cool. That if Joe gets on board with something or champions it, then all of a sudden it becomes the new mainstream. Mm-hmm. And so you have to ask yourself, it's like, okay, maybe I disagree with Joe on some stuff, but it's like, what what's my preferred path? Trying to convince Joe that this is a good idea or trying to convince Donald Trump that he should, you know, like adopt a complete, completely different approach to governance. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that, that to me is a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Andrew Yang, future secretary of technology and innovation. Love this. Potentially. Of that. And if that happened, <laughs> I certainly have you two and, and a lot of other people to thank. But the big thing right now is just for us to help each other try and get through this mess and, you know, stay strong and healthy ourselves. Cause you can't help anyone if you can't, you know, like, uh, help yourself. But then if you do have the capacity to help others, please do lend someone a hand. Cause like someone in your life needs a hand. Mm-hmm. Can we count on an interview from Washington, DC a year sure from thing. now? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Heck, definitely, like, if, if I'm the secretary uh, of technology innovation, uh, then we'll have so much to talk about. And then, yeah, you know, I agree. I'll, That's going to be awesome. I'll even end up being, like, well, one you... of these types of being, like, hey, send me ideas, citizens, because I am now your... <laughs> you know? And, Andrew, if there are UFOs, will you tell us? Will you have access to If I to find that? out there are UFOs, uh, I will tell people because we all know they're there already (laughs) okay andrew let me ask you this if someone's like okay andrew we're gonna give we're gonna tell you the ufos and the aliens and all this crazy shit exists but you can't tell anyone do you tell us (laughs) depends on who it is really i mean you know if it's someone i can be like sorry man like i just had to tell people that it'd be people always say that but there's no way you would actually be able to tell us don't you see the problem? <laughs> I, I do see the problem. If they bring me into the circle of UFO trust, then it's hard to run outside of the circle and tell Ethan and Hila. Just yeah. before you die, just get the <laughs> just truth out there. Twice. Yeah, blink twice on your on your deathbed. <laughs> um, that done deal, deathbed, UFO confession, yes. Andrew Yang. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right. Andrew, it's, a, it's been a pleasure as always. I wish you lots of luck mm-hmm. and success. I'm enjoying following everything you're doing. Fantastic. And I am along with the Yang gang all the way. So good luck. Thank you both and, so uh, much. And we're right yeah. there with you. Thank you both for everything you do. And, you know, I, I hope the little guy is doing great. Yeah, he is. He's uh, doing yeah, awesome. So- <laughs> he is. Yeah, he is. Thank you. And your kids, too. Uh, I mean, now you're, yeah. you're at home. You're spending time with the family. That's fantastic. I know it was hard on you during the campaign. Yeah, you can understand why uh, as parents, it was the hardest thing about running. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm happy to say, you know, that, yeah, they remembered who daddy was. And now I'm underfoot all the time when I'm not, you know, zooming. <laughs> all right, Andrew, take care. <laughs>